Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Problem Solved, the IISE podcast. I'm David Brandt, and this episode is brought to you by the IISE Logistics and Supply Chain Division. Crystal Castillo of the University of Texas at San Antonio and Howard Grimes, a research scientist and CEO of the Cybersecurity Manufacturing Innovation Institute, discuss innovative efforts to improve and coordinate cybersecurity defense systems and manufacturing and supply chains to stay a step ahead of disruptive threats. Howard and Crystal, we want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, Before we get into our topic, just kind of want to learn a little bit about both of you and have you introduce yourself. Tell us about your background and how you got involved in in, uh, these fields. Uh, Crystal, let's start with you. How did you become involved in uh, education and and lead you to, to the path you're on now? Of course. Um, Hi, I'm Crystal Castillo, and I was trained as an IE uh, with all my degrees in this amazing discipline. And uh, what I love about industrial engineering is that we're always open to tackle pressing challenges in many fields, sometimes outside our comfort zone. And we're willing to reach across the aisle and gain understanding about the application of OR and data analytics to any engineering system. So I got involved in laying the groundwork of cybersecurity for advanced manufacturing processes and supply chain networks as part of a strategic research initiative at the University of Texas at San Antonio. Um, So I started working with Howard many years ago, and um, the result of that effort was the establishment of the Cybersecurity Manufacturing Innovation Institute back in September 2020. This is the newest innovation institute in the U.S. and is sponsored by the Department of Energy. So Saimani brings many scientific communities together to tackle two critical challenges for our nation. And these are securing digital energy efficient manufacturing processes, as well as their entire supply chains, and addressing a workforce gap in advanced manufacturing. If we look across the nation, there are more than 2 million manufacturing jobs that could go on field. So Saimani has a goal to train 1 million in the next couple of years. All right. Well, thank you. Well, Howard, just give us a little idea of your background and what your career path has been like. I have a fairly um, unique career path. Um, I began as quickly or very quickly uh, became a physical biochemist and working on, you know, structure function uh, of uh, protein, uh, proteins and cellular uh, activities. Um, So uh, one of the things I did a lot of was structural biochemistry. So, you know, in today's world, everybody knows structural biochemists have, you know, taken a good look at that and solved that issue, so to speak. You know, I was doing things like that, you know, 30 years ago and creating massive data sets in, in relationship to that. And, you know, pretty much on the cutting edge of handling the massive data sets that uh, are inherent in those kind of investigation fields. Uh, So I transitioned as what I still refer to as an accidental uh, administrator. So I functioned as both a dean and a vice president for research at a major R1 university. Uh, I transitioned from there to working uh, with uh, one of the DOE national laboratories 
uh, where we focused on uh, carbon capture at a global scale. So again, big data, big, big science, if you will. Uh, that led me to, down a path that I'm on today, which is, you know, what I consider one of the most challenging uh, and exciting opportunities that we have. And that is, you know, manufacturing is a huge sector of the U.S. economy, about 27%. Um, we know um, that uh, that sector is the number one sector for cyber attack uh, from especially nation state sponsored adversaries. Um, and we also know that as a nation, we've invested well in cyber offense capabilities, but not so well in cyber defense capabilities. And that's really the job of Cymani is to, or the Cybersecurity Manufacturing Innovation Institute. Uh, it's really our job. We probably are, I think I've verified this on a couple of levels, but uh, you know, I always put probably in uh, just in case, but we, we uh, were the number one uh, public investment that the US government has made in cyber defensive architectures as we move forward. So these architectures are critical, you know, as the sophistication, you know, of the attack vectors uh, increases, the volume, veracity of those attacks increases, uh, you know, offense is simply not enough. We really must learn how to defend our systems. And that's the, you know, that's the innovation that drives uh, Simani. That's what we do. And our job is to introduce that first, in, you know, into the U.S. manufacturing sector uh, to really drive them forward, both in terms of, uh, you know, national um, competitiveness on a global scale. And we got a little bit of idea from Crystal on on how the uh, Simani organization began. Give us a little bit of its of its origins, how it came together, when it came together, and the different agencies that are involved to help you follow through on that mission. Right. So um, the the ontogeny of the institute really begins, you know, eight nine years ago uh, during the uh, Obama administration, where Congress uh, appropriated. Um, significant funds to launch about 16 manufacturing innovation institutes. So we are the 16th that has been launched. Um, and, you know, several of those are funded by the Department of Defense. Uh, one is funded by Department of Commerce and the rest are funded by the Department of Energy. Uh, and so you can imagine they have slightly different foci depending on the funder of them for the Department of Energy, you know they uh, our our um, mission is strongly linked to not only cybersecurity but energy efficiency. So how do we use cybersecurity innovations to drive increases in energy efficiency? Um, and we are the only MII uh, Manufacturing Innovation Institute that is exclusively focused on cybersecurity and manufacturing. So. We don't, uh, uh, you know, the other MIIs focus on things like advanced composite materials and, and lightweight components. You know, we have a cross-cutting mission. We have uh, identified, uh, or DOE has identified, you know, eight vertical sectors that need to be cyber secured. And those are correlate with the eight most energy intensive sectors. So everything from cement production to semiconductors to food and agriculture 
to transportation. So a big part of what we do is we step back from, uh, you know, the traditional approaches in cybersecurity and really think hard about the fundamental mathematics, the fundamental physics and the fundamental engineering systems that uh, need to be defended and how to defend them, you know, using uh, very, you know, research-focused tools that have immediate application. So we talk all the time about the approaches that we have to take need to be extensible because for cybersecurity to work in manufacturing or in any sector, uh, you know, we it needs to be pure. So that stands for it has to be pervasive, it has to be unobtrusive, it has to be resilient, and it has to be economical. And so as we develop our innovations, we're constantly thinking about those four words and anything that doesn't meet those criteria, we reject uh, categorically because it it won't work. It's it's just that simple. And so um, the but the institutes have been around, you know, uh, some are entering into their sixth, seventh and eighth years. Uh, We're entering into our we're in our second year. So we're one of the newest uh, MIIs. We are funded by the Department of Energy, Um, and as I mentioned earlier, we're the only MII that's uh, focused exclusively on cybersecurity and in developing defensive postures for uh, manufacturers. And Crystal, if you will, tell us kind of what your role is and how Texas San Antonio partners with CyManny from a sort of an academic point of view and what kind of contributions the uh, academic institute can make. So currently, I'm serving as vice president of energy efficiency at Saimani. And um, from the academic perspective, um, I I think we always start, you know, any, you know, research proposal with the motivation, right? Uh, Why are we here? Why are we, you know, uh, putting effort on, on this institute? And I, I would like to uh, maybe discuss a little bit about that motivation uh, for involving academic institutions in, in, in this fantastic effort here. Um, we, we have witnessed in the past decades the digitization of the business world, which has led to tremendous energy gains, efficiencies, and made it far easier to conduct business in a distributed fashion. I think we all can agree that the new digital threat ecosystems create opportunities to increase our global competitiveness and enhance supply chain resilience. However, with this exponential increase in connectivity, there is an exponential increase in exploitable security flaws, leaving manufacturers vulnerable to massive consequences in their operational technology and in their processes. So currently these digital threads are just a patchwork of architectures with incomplete security that creates additional complexity and additional expenses for many manufacturers. So Saimani recognizes that the current state of cybersecurity is not sustainable. So if we are to truly secure US manufacturer, manufacturing, the current approach of hardening systems insufficiently and working to prevent human-induced flaws is okay for the near term, but it's just not enough. 
So our efforts here revolve around devising the future of robust, resilient, and decarbonized advanced manufacturing systems and supply chains, which extends beyond the current world of insecure technology to new systems of architectures that will exponentially increase our nation's ability to resist cyber attacks. So Saimani is working to realize you know, this vision of cyber-informed digital threats by solving fundamental challenges, um, basic research challenges that prevent um, a truly secure um, ITOT in integration. Um, so that's why I think our academic uh, partners are um, just key for, for this effort. So this is a multidisciplinary effort. So we need to have uh, industrial partners providing uh, directions. Um, government agencies, uh, driving uh, some of the research challenges, and academic institutions working on the more fundamental things. So, if I could uh, add just a couple things to that, one thing that uh, you know, Simani is funded by the Department of Energy as a public-private partnership. Uh, so, we are a nationwide uh, team of experts. Uh, comprised of, you know, the leading uh, research universities in both cybersecurity and manufacturing. Uh, so we range everywhere from the West Coast to the East Coast to North and South. Uh, we are proudly headquartered at uh, the University of Texas at San Antonio. Uh, and uh, UTSA is the leading school in, in the UT system for cybersecurity, which is why we were uh, chosen, you know, to lead this this initiative uh, by the UT system. Um, we also uh, have, uh, you know, four of the DOE national labs under what's called a cooperative agreement with us. Um, so the Oak Ridge National Lab, Sandia National Lab, Idaho National Lab, and the National Renewable Energy Lab. Uh, and in addition to those partners, we have about 30 uh, major and, and medium-sized manufacturers across the country, and we're growing that industry base uh, every day as our value proposition is realized and, and understood by different companies. But, you know, typical companies today are General Electric, uh, Cisco, um, uh, Lockheed Martin, and, and like I said, many, many more. And we function as a um, hyper-distributed organization. So we have, uh, we, we, we typically gather, you know, for face-to-face, -face, uh, you know, on a monthly four to five week basis, but we have on any given day, we practice an agile sprint and scrum cycle for our, uh, our innovation cycles. So at any given time, you know, we've got 10 to 15 scrums running and each one of those scrum teams is, is, has an industry product owner so that we're developing innovations that, you know, are adaptable and considered necessary by industry. Um, so that's just kind of how we operate. Um, you know, we have about 250 scientists and engineers uh, working full, uh, you know, working uh, all the time on, you know, cyber innovations uh, organized around those scrum teams that I just uh, mentioned. 
Well, give us an idea, too, because you, you've got so many different goals and uh, as part of your mission, as you describe, of energy efficiency and uh, supply chains and other aspects that tie to manufacturing. Tell us how cybersecurity connects with all this, because I think many of us sort of think of that as, as maybe a separate entity. But uh, all of this kind of fits together to improve a company's bottom line. Tell us how that connects. Yeah, so that's, I think, one of the truly, uh, you know, groundbreaking areas that that Simani is addressing. So cybersecurity today, as Crystal just explained, is, is fragmented, uh, disjointed, and costly. Um, so, you know, from a corporate perspective, in today's world, cybersecurity is a cost center. You know, it's, it, you know, big companies like Lockheed Martin understand the threat vectors well enough that they understand that they need to invest in you know, high-level cybersecurity that's available today. Um, they also understand they need another level of cybersecurity because the current practices are simply not enough. The systems were not designed to be defended, and hence they're not able to defend it in a holistic manner. And the connection is the energy efficiency. So in the world of cyber, you'll often hear people talk about, you know, the cyber physical layer. So, you know, the physical operations and the digital twin, if you will, of that, the cyber plane and how to secure the cyber physical layers. We have a third layer. And that's one of the things that really differentiates us. And that third layer is if you imagine a, a manufacturing process and the supply chain of, of components to that process, if you imagine that, well, not imagine, what, what we're doing is we are capturing every single energy transaction in that chain, in the supply chain, and on the manufacturing floor. And that's really what Crystal's and her team is responsible for, is, is understanding and, and moving our understanding of energy efficiency from a facility level to a process level. And she can talk more about that. But that's fundamentally, you know, one of the things that you know, separates us is we're turning or converting cybersecurity from a cost center to, for the case of manufacturing, into a, a return on investment strategy. So by investing in cybersecurity at another level that you can't even do today, you're going to realize that investment back to you as energy efficiency. And we've done, you know, lots of calculations and pilot studies on how much energy we can save when we uh, insert, you know, these devices and sensors and more importantly, the the architectures themselves that we're developing. Um, so I'll turn it over to Crystal for further elaboration on, you know, the, the energy efficiency link. Great points here. Um, this is one of our core premises, and I know it's not as straightforward to link cybersecurity with energy efficiency. So um, I'm more than happy to elaborate a bit more on, on these. As Howard mentioned, um, current cybersecurity approaches are ineffective for cyber physical systems in advanced manufacturing, and they usually represent a cost center intended just to address poorly characterized risks from cyber threats. So unfortunately, cybersecurity is seen as an extra burden and manufacturers can barely keep up with digital technology upgrades. 
much less the complex perimeter and information security defenses that are required to achieve minimum security compliance. So all these factors are discouraging investments in digitization. And we know that digitization is key to achieve energy and emissions efficiencies, to make our processes better and to increase the quality of our final products. So bottom line, to achieve those energy and emissions um, efficiencies, we need to transform cybersecurity from a cost center or just a waste of money to a return on investment, an ROI enabler. So my last comment here is that we are not saying that cybersecurity will give you a direct return on investment. What we are saying is that cybersecurity, it's an enabler to truly harvest all the benefits mm -hmm from Industry 4.0 and digitization of advanced manufacturing. Well, and, and you touched on the technology that's being used in manufacturing, supply chains. There's so many different kinds of technology now as companies go more digital. You've got, especially in supply chain, the goal is to be more transparent up and down the supply chain. How does this create more challenges for cybersecurity? What kind of risks can you um, entail from expanding different types of technology without having security from the from the start? As Crystal just mentioned, you know, digitization is a key to, you know, improving the efficiency of manufacturing operations. Um, so, but as you digitize, uh, as you in, increase the number of devices uh, in your connected world, your internet, uh, you know, uh, of things, in your industrial internet of things, you exponentially grow your, what we call the cyber attack surface. And what I also like to point out is uh, not only the cyber attack surface area, but the volume area as well. And the reason I say that is because most of the thinking around cybersecurity is A, based on the information technology side of things, the IT world, and not the OT or operational technology. So, so you know, the, the dis or the disconnect between the IT and the OT world is enormous and it's a large focus of, of, of attack. The second reason I like to include the word volume in there is because from a manufacturing perspective, it's critical. So the IT world is really focused on keeping the bad actors outside of your network. So they do that by firewalls, uh, perimeter defenses, network segmentation, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, those fragmented approaches are necessary, especially today, because they exist today. You know, but they're not sufficient. So they're necessary, but not sufficient. And so um, none of them really are designed with the OT world in mind, which is the OT, you know, slash ICS or industrial control system world. So what we have to do in manufacturing is worry not only about perimeter defenses, but what do we do inside of the systems, right? So how do we frankly, how do we keep things from blowing up? I mean, you know, the Triton attack you know, has been characterized as, you know, the first cyber attack intentionally designed to kill human beings. And that's the state of cyber. It's no, it's really moving away from 
data theft and and you know that sort of you know personal record theft to sabotage and you know uh, mayhem. <laughs> so uh, I don't mean to be a proponent of what we call the FUD, you know, fear, uncertainty, and doom mentality, but you know there is a reality. Uh, you know, to that. So as you increase digitization, you increase your efficiency, you increase your productivity, but you substantially open yourself up to cyber risk. So the innovations that we are introducing are are designed not only to uh, lower risk, but to eliminate entire categories of cyber vulnerabilities. To wit, a lot of the work that we've done involves us another technical area that we haven't yet discussed and that's cyber vulnerability awareness. So when you think about cyber vulnerabilities, those are those are weak uh, vulnerabilities that exist today in your networks, both IT and OT and ICS networks. Um, those vulnerabilities are sometimes introduced intentionally by nation state adversaries or exploited by adversaries because they they simply exist in the design flaws uh, that, that you just didn't think about as you were designing the software because you're busy being first to market. That doesn't always equate with being secure to market. Um, and so those vulnerabilities exist. And then there's a whole nother um, level of cyber vulnerability awareness and that's cyber uh, weaknesses. So weaknesses are described as areas of in your software, especially where vulnerabilities can be easily inserted by, you know, hackers or adversaries of various types. So Simani is, is done some incredible work for both, um, you know, the, the nation's infra critical infrastructure, the energy grid in identifying and categorizing, you know, the, the existing cyber vulnerabilities uh, in our infrastructure and in our manufacturing systems. Um, we've done that in parallel with industry and as a, as a uh, function of a congressionally mandated activity. This was just recently completed. So we now know um, a, a lot more than we ever did uh, two years ago about how vulnerabilities exist and how they might be exploited. And we've developed an approach. It's basically a, a method of modeling attack vectors against these known vulnerability categories, you know, that I just described. So we can go into a manufacturing operation, we can model your attack vectors and help you understand where you need to, to make your, your highest priorities for defense uh, structures in, inside of that. Um, so that's a, a unique thing or a unique asset that Simani has developed uh, that's, that uh, you know, we're just now rolling out uh, for the public sector and piloting it with, with some of our industrial partners, as I mentioned earlier. So um, Howard uh, uh, provided a, a really nice overview on vulnerabilities. So maybe I can um, talk more about how we capture or, or how we quantify risk at a high level for uh, processes and entire supply chains. Um, cyber risk is extremely challenging to estimate, but we go by the mantra of if you cannot measure it, you cannot manage it. So we have developed a modular and extensible methodology that can be applied to both existing 
and new manufacturing facilities and supply chains to estimate energy savings and emissions reduction while maintaining a desirable level of cyber resiliency. And this methodology is known as the Cybersecurity Energy and Emissions Quantification Framework. It's pronounced SIC. And SIC provides decision makers with the ROI of potential implementations. So let me describe a bit more of the methodology. Uh, the first step, as usual, is to determine the baselines. And thanks to the improvements of industrial IoT devices and high granular data acquisition technologies, baseline models can be constructed in a reliable and efficient way using high-frequency data from manufacturing systems. So, for instance, um, we have implemented smart sensors in a shop floor so we can get energy consumption and emission baseline. And in addition to energy consumption and emissions considerations, the baselining step also incorporates knowledge of cybersecurity attacks or breaches, and that's when available. Um, but it also considers a consequence-based risk analysis to assess the overall risk and compute the cybersecurity ROI. So why are we so interested on adding that cybersecurity layer to everything we do? Well, because cybersecurity concerns in the network remain a critical part of the overall planning for improvement initiatives. Um, because as you mentioned, Keith, there's a constant supervision of the supply chain via industrial IoT devices. So once um, baselining is established for energy and for cybersecurity, then uh, we can start thinking about improvement methods to make the process more energy efficiency, for example. Um, and it is here um, where we employ uh, data analytics techniques such as machine learning, deep learning, and high-level risk quantification techniques to compute the overall savings for each of those uh, improvement plans and ultimately provide what's going to be the return on investment on the best uh, strategy. And I think we all have heard about different kinds of data breaches in the news, the kind of things that happens to major retailers when um, uh, customer data gets stolen. Uh, I was reading just the other day an article, though, about a very small government in New York that got hit ransomware. Um, we had a similar situation here in Atlanta a few years ago. Is this something that is no longer just a problem for big companies or smaller companies? organizations, governments, and businesses, do they also have to maybe factor in cybersecurity more than they have in the past just because of the risks that are out there? Yeah, the answer is absolutely. Um, you know, so most of us on the leadership of Sun, uh, and a lot of our technical development team leads, uh, you know, hold uh, the appropriate national security clearances so that we, we can, uh, you know, see behind the wall, if you will, as to you know what's truly happening out there in the world of cybersecurity and and who who the actors are, how they're operationalizing their threats, 
um, et cetera. So uh, another point of differentiating differentiation of our institute is is the fact that I've I've insisted, you know, that our leadership team and and technical team have those clearances. Not easy to get, <laughs> but uh, necessary in the sense that I don't believe it possible to develop truly defensible architectures if you don't understand the deep nature of the threat vectors and what what's really going on out there. Um, so uh, the other truism, uh, if, if you will, is that, you know, as adversaries in particular think about disrupting U.S. manufacturing and, you know, the global stage, you know, they're going to target not just the OEMs, but they're going to look at the suppliers, the tier two and tier three suppliers. So that's part of why, you know, one of the elements of our architectures is the what we call, you know, data provenance. So how do you protect the supply chain integrity? How do you make a supply chain that is, is rooted in trust uh, so that you know that. And what we've done is we've devised a very sophisticated, what we call cyber physical passport that we assign to every operation, every human being, every transaction in that supply chain. So we start with the small manufacturers and the medium manufacturers, because those are the the network into, you know, the assembly floor of Lockheed Martin, for instance. Uh, so it, it's imperative that we, again, go back to that pure you know, pervasive, unobtrusive, resilient, and economical because you're a small manufacturer is not going to deploy it if it's not economical and if it's not easy to use. So, um, so it's imperative that we do that. And, you know, so Crystal's team is all about, you know, how do you convert cybersecurity from a cost center to a, a resource center? Um, but our our secure manufacturing team is really focused on how do you build um, you know supply chains that are rooted in trust, and let's just talk for a minute about what um, is out there today versus what Simani is is working on. So today's quote secure unquote architectures, you know, basically give manufacturers a false sense of security through misleading terminology. They're not at all secure. And, you know, I always state, never confuse compliance with secure or security. You know, the second point about today's architectures are that they connote a conjoining of perimeter defense and data security. Um, third thing is, is that they all have poor security controls that are applied at best only to a limited aspect of the operations or the supply chain. And fourthly, they include little or no context of real world consequences. And we would include, you know, physical operations in that. So how do you how do you protect not just your networks, but how do you protect the machines and the humans in the loop that are on the operational floor? So when we talk about the next generation of cyber defense capabilities, we address the engineering design lifecycle across that entire supply chain, and we seamlessly integrate it into manufacturing operations. That's that data provenance that I just talked about. And critically, you know, Simani includes what we, well, it includes verifiable security properties. And that's what Crystal was just talking about, the quantification in mathematical verification of secure properties that are extensible 
again, to multiple domains. So how do we create cyber innovations, not just for the cement world, but for cement and semiconductors and everything in between? You know, the third thing that Simani does is we capture every operation machine and person in a cyber physical passport that enables the guarantees of physical function. So again, the operations on your manufacturing floor, our cyber physical passport guarantees physical functions. And that's not something that no other entity or vendor can deliver today. Another aspect of that is linkage of security to product quality and to the energy emissions efficiency. And so that all leads to, uh, you know, ensures that supply chains have components that are born qualified and entire supply chains that are rooted in trust. And that's a fundamental new way of thinking about cybersecurity that, uh, you, you know, no, no one has assembled a, a team uh, like the Simani team to really get into that, that again, that fundamental math and, and fundamental physics of, of operations. Indeed. And um, I think regardless of the size of the company, all manufacturers out there desperately need the cybersecurity innovations combined with decision support systems so that they can truly protect their systems. And the IE community has been applying optimization models coupled with process-based simulations for many years and for several applications. And those simulation-based optimization approaches are suitable tools to build a resilient, secure, and energy-efficient uh, supply chains. So during our first couple of years, uh, we have done several demonstrations, and one of those was inspired by a high-profile security breach in the news. Um, thankfully, not in the U.S., but we have developed a prototype in the semiconductor sector that simulates real world disruptions um, in the context of a fab. And those disruptions are affecting both the profit as well as the energy productivity. So we developed this decision support system that helps to simulate response decisions driven by smart sensors. So in other words, we are using smart sensors to increase our ability to detect a potential cyber breach sooner. Um, these decision support systems um, also highlight process dynamics under multiple cyber threats or attack scenarios. For example, we can track the working process, the cycle time, the equipment utilization under a ransomware attack and get a better understanding of the impact of those disruptions. Um, we can also demonstrate the ability to model cross infrastructure disruptions to the fab or any manufacturing facility and also multi-domain uh, measures of performance. So one exemplar here is capturing interdependencies between purified water networks and communications and IT network services for the fab and making sure that we have this holistic view on how to protect um, the uh, wafer fabrication facility. 
And as we look toward the future and what needs to be done in order to keep one step, two steps ahead of the bad actors, um, how does cybersecurity offer an opportunity, uh, Crystal, particularly in academics, for IE students? Is this something that would be uh, a focus and a, and a growth potential for IE students who are looking to get involved in this area down the road? Absolutely. Um, we manufacturers are are always, you know, looking for um uh, new employers, and they're usually limited to certain disciplines that are very rigid and that they're working as silos uh, currently. So how we train the next generation of um, students with the right mix of skills, stuff and hard skills to really, you know, develop and devise these new secure manufacturing architectures it's uh, it's a pressing need for for the nation, and at Saimani, we are um, also helping a national initiative, which is the Cyber Informed Engineering National Strategy, which is now led by a national lab um, uh, from the Department of Energy. So we are working on changing the curriculum and trying to identify the key classes, the key components that are necessary to train our students in the cyber-informed engineering um, type of mentality. So um, our students um, should be able to understand concepts from computer science, from cybersecurity, information systems, as well as you know the the classical uh, engineering uh, principles, so the cyber inform engineering is um, a great initiative. Um, UTSA and other universities are taking the lead on devising the the future curriculum and talking to um, ABIT and other institutions to start you know making that that change. But definitely the foundation of IE and other engineering disciplines is, is needed uh, to train the next generation of Industry 4.0 uh, professionals. Yeah, so just to uh, uh, elaborate on a couple things that Crystal said at, at the academic uh, side of IE, you know, one of the goals of Simani is to upskill and reskill a million workers uh, in in uh, cybersecurity approaches uh, to help protect their operations from cyber attack. And so we're in collaboration with Port San Antonio, we're opening up a 15,000 square foot um, training facility. We call it the Cybersecurity for Manufacturing Hub uh, there in San Antonio. But in as you walk in the front door, you see to the back end of the facility, a huge garage door. And the reason that garage door exists is not only to uh, you know uh, bring in uh, big pieces of manufacturing equipment for demonstration purposes, but also we've secured funding, you know, to uh, launch a, a cybersecurity for manufacturing mobile training vehicle, and so that huge uh, vehicle is designed so that we can drive that right into the parking lot of a small or even a medium manufacturer. So they don't need to shut their operations down to get trained in cybersecurity operations. You know, they can just send their workers out to the parking lot and we'll do it hands-on, uh, you know, 
at the ready, if you will. So it's it's delivery of education, you know, at the right place at the right time, so to speak. And so we're very excited about about that. So we're addressing cybersecurity at both the academic, you know, level of in industrial engineering and electrical engineering and computer engineering, but also, you know, at the incumbent workers that are on on the floors today. So the Simani mobile, is that what you call it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, That's right. <laughs> we have to think of a clever name. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a fascinating topic, and I know I've learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners have as well, just uh, the the efforts involved in trying to secure manufacturing and, and, and just how extensive this is. Is there anything either of you would like to add about the work Simani's doing and, and why it's so important? Well, I think, you know, to, to wrap up, um, you know, Simani, Again, just to emphasize, you know, the the volume, the veracity, and the sophistication of the attack vectors are growing exponentially. Um, everywhere from you know the you know the the simple hacker uh, continues to acquire skills that can hold companies at ransom. Uh, you know, for instance, um, but also you know those actors that are nation state sponsored are really growing in their level of sophistication in, in attack. And, you know, really uh, elaborating on or exploiting the cyber vulnerabilities that exist and the weaknesses that lead to further, uh, you know, vulnerabilities. So, you know, the Cybersecurity Manufacturing Innovation Institute, as I mentioned earlier, is really the nation's largest public investment in cyber defense capabilities. Um, and those capabilities are drastically needed. Uh, you know, the, the current state of cybersecurity and the vendors that are out there, you know, are really focused on being first to market with uh, partial solutions. And Simani is focused on being, you know, secure to market in, in ways that are just not available today. Although we are, we are piloting those innovations yesterday. Uh, so we're working, you know, with General Electric, for instance, you know, after they were exposed to some of our um, capabilities, you know, they went away and and uh, came back to us and said, we need to help. We want to help you accelerate the deployment of these innovations because they are critically needed in our industry as well as others. So we literally have a, a plan with them. Uh, uh, collaboration with them on on uh, securing the the microelectronic uh, uh, industry, uh, semiconductor uh, manufacturing and fabrication and packaging uh, that we are uh, you know rolling out uh, you know with with one of their facilities and one of their partners right now. So th- that's where we are with industry. Um, if you're out there and you're listening as a, as somebody from a manufacturing or company environment, uh, please do reach out to us. Uh, we're eager to um, engage with industry because that's the focus of everything that we do. And Crystal, you're uh, a, a member of the logistics and supply chain division within IISE. How does all this kind of fit with the mission of the division as well and your role in it? Oh, it fits perfectly. Um, Supply chains are the cornerstone of any activity, and they are evolving to accommodate new challenges such as cyber threats and pandemics. 
So orchestrated secure supply chains are key for the competitiveness of our nation and are a very relevant topic for the logistics and supply chain division of IISC. So as past president, I led some initiatives to encourage participation of other disciplines and growth our membership. I strongly believe that um, industrial and system engineers should play a significant role in the future of secure manufacturing supply chains. And our current president, Dr. Hector Bergara, continues with this quest. So as Howard said, um, we encourage our listeners to reach out to Saimani and we are aiming to shift from a first-to-market mentality to a secure-to-market manufacturing ecosystem. So we are living, um, we are living in a, an exciting um, moment here in the nation. And to ensure a secure-to-market development ecosystem for integrated ITOT manufacturing technologies, Saimani is deploying innovative manufacturing architectures with verifiable security properties. And hopefully those architectures will eliminate many, on the, many of the underlying challenges uh, that we're facing today with the design build lifecycle security process. So uh, we encourage everybody to reach out and um, take a look at signmoney.org and we will be happy to have further discussions with um, prospective members. Well, that's great. Well, I want to thank you both for uh, sharing your expertise with us today on this very important topic. We certainly will be pursuing it uh, more uh, as we go forward. We thank you for your time and we wish you all the best and all the luck with Simani and its efforts going forward. Thank you so much. Thank you for the invitation. Yep. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, a production of the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers in Norcross, Georgia. We hope you'll share this and other Problem Solved episodes with your friends and colleagues. Learn more about sponsorship and advertising opportunities, as well as how you can become a member of IISE by visiting podcast.iise.org.